And people who, you know, have problems in their minds may think that they can go to the top of a big building and jump off and somehow uh, not be killed. And for a few seconds, they may think that they're defying the natural law of gravity, but they're soon going to find that they cannot defy that law. Amen? Now, that's a sure and secure law because God has made nature. But I'm here tonight to tell you that even more sure than the law of gravity and other natural laws are supernatural laws that come from the maker of gravity. Amen? Okay, because God is supernatural. And if a supernatural God created natural things, then the natural things, as secure as we find them to be, the supernatural laws behind them are even more secure. And just like a person who attempts to jump off a tall building and thinks they can defy the law of gravity may think they can for a few split seconds, they're going to find out in the end that they can't. I'm here to tell you that if we try to deny any part of this book, we may seem to fly for just a bit. Amen? And there are people doing that all around us. But in the end, you're going to hit rock bottom and you're going to realize you cannot defy the truth of God. And it's very important to know the truth. I mean, I, I hate going to the doctor's. But if I have a serious problem and I go to the doctor and he does not tell me what my problem is, I could end up dead. Amen? And as a church of Jesus Christ, God wants to tell us as a church as a whole, what is our problem in the last days? And so my prayer for this message is the same as the prayer that I pray every time I speak. And I've been speaking for decades, and I want to tell you something. Every time I preach, here's one thing I definitely pray. God... Don't let me speak something just because it's popular or will make me popular. And how many of you know about me? That's not what I do. I don't. I'm like, God, God, help me to preach what is the truth and not what will make me popular or necessarily what is popular. Now, on the other hand, I've also had to pray this. God, never let me preach a message just because it's unpopular to make a name for myself that way. And that's a difficult balance. We are, to, to, we are to pray and seek God's face for what he wants us to speak, no matter if it's popular or unpopular. Is it God's will? And that's what this message tonight is about. And I'm going to go to the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just as a way of background, 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. And he is writing this book to young Timothy, an up-and-coming preacher of the gospel. Paul's trying to pass on his heritage and his, his life to Timothy. And he says to Timothy something extremely serious in chapter 4. Now, also, I want you to know that 2 Timothy is probably the last book of the Bible that Paul wrote before he was beheaded. So this is him in his very last days telling what he believes is most important to not just Timothy, to not just preachers of the gospel and teachers of the gospel, but really to every Christian who lives their life and proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul said. He said, okay, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, this is serious, right? It's not just like, do you swear? Do you swear? You know, when you're little, you became blood sisters. Do you promise? Let's swap blood. Did anybody ever do that? I had no idea I was going to become a diabetic, and I could swap blood with any of you ten times a day. But anyway, okay, so 
I charge you, this is serious. He's like, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, and you're like, whoa, what is this charge going to be? Because it's extremely solemn. In the presence of God, I'm going to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, you better know this. You better do this. I'm going to give you a charge right now. And it's the most important thing in all the world. And here's what he said. Preach the word. Wow. He said, preach the word. Now, here's why this is so important. Because I'm telling you that in the church of Jesus Christ at large, and I'm not just talking about Norwin Alliance or your church or any particular church. In the church of Jesus Christ at large today, via television, via, you know, you're just in the church individually on the Internet, the church of Jesus Christ at large today is not preaching the word. I got one amen. At large, we're not. Now, there are still churches that are, but largely, we are not preaching the Word. We're preaching what people want to hear, not the Word. So you think, why is this such a big deal? Why would Paul have to tell a preacher to preach the Word? Because you need to know. You need to preach the Word, not what people want to hear. Now, here's what Paul went on to say. He said, a time is coming. The time is coming, Timothy. So it, it must have just been around the corner, just been starting. He said, Timothy, back in the first century, he said, the time is coming. Now watch this. When people will not endure sound teaching. Now the word sound there in the Greek comes from the word that means healthy or whole. Okay? So there's going to come a day when people won't endure. The word endure is a difficult word. It means to bear up under. It means this isn't going to be easy, but I'm going to hold up under it. How many of you know that if you want to live a healthy life in your body, you've got to endure a lot of stuff? Okay? It's not easy. It takes a lot of self-discipline. You've got to bear up under it. And if you want to be healthy in your soul, you've got to learn to endure sound teaching. Not fluffy teaching, not easy teaching, not what everybody seems like they want to hear, but you've got to endure sound, healthy, whole teaching. But Paul was saying, Timothy, there's going to come a time when people won't want sound teaching anymore. That gets worse. He says, but having itching ears. And in the Greek, I believe this is the only time this word is used for itchy here. And it kind of means like you have a tickle and you want to scratch it. So people are going to have a certain kind of itch that they want to scratch the way they want to scratch it. Do you get the feeling of what he's saying here? So people are going to have itching ears. They, they want to hear what they want to hear, okay? And they want you to scratch them just the way they want to be scratched. And he says... Because of that, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, notice this. They're not going to accumulate for themselves teachers and pastors and evangelists and preachers to suit the passion of God for their life. They're going to accumulate teachers to, to suit their own passions, their own lusts, whatever it is they want to do. So if they want to be wealthy and healthy, they'll go hear a prosperity teacher. If they want to be assured that their physical body is going to be healed right now, right here, then they'll go hear someone who preaches, everybody gets healed. Are you with me? It's scary, but they'll suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth. Now, this is the Bible here. This is as true as John 3.16. 
So if this is true, then there are people today in the church who have turned away from wanting to listen to the truth. And when you don't want the truth anymore, there's only one thing you can go to. A lie. And they wander off into myths, into lies. Now, this is the Word of God, and it isn't what I'm saying. It's what the Word of God is saying, and it's been heavy, heavy, heavy on my heart. I read very widely. I listen very widely, and i got to tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ is in trouble. We're in trouble, and we need to take the medicine properly, okay? Now, he says, in light of this situation, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, um, I can't tell you how many times in my life, I, people may not say it to my face, but I can feel it when I walk by. How many of you ever get those kind of feelings? They're not going to say it to your face, but you feel it. Sometimes I can feel it when I walk by. Shelly, you're just too doggone serious. Yeah, you better believe I am. And I want to tell you something, and our youth group is responding well to seriousness. I'm reading all kind of research that says, we think youth groups want hype and fun, and they don't. Kids are looking for the truth. They need something that's going to stand up. They want the truth, okay? So here's the deal. He said, always be sober-minded. Be serious, okay? Don't be, don't be going off, you know, be very, very serious. Don't be distracted. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. I love that phrase, because I'm thinking, okay, I feel like being a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I endure suffering for it. I believe the devil persecutes me. People within the church persecute me. People outside the church persecute me. Is that because it's something special about me? No, there's something special about the truth. And the devil wants to take it away. So I was encouraged by this. Okay, if you're going to be sober-minded, if you're going to preach the word of God, you're going to endure suffering. But keep doing the work of an evangelist. Keep fulfilling your ministry. Don't give up. Okay? Now... Paul goes on to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Who's ever heard that scripture before? That's exciting stuff. Paul's saying that. Now remember, context in the end of his life. He's saying this was a fight, okay? When you go to your grave, it's going to be such a great relief to know that you're going to heaven. Amen? But I'm going to go to my grave, and I'm going to honestly be able to say, at my funeral, please say, she fought a good fight. Because it was a fight. You know what it feels like to be in a fight? You get bruised, you get sweaty. You know what it feels like to run a race? I've never done a, done a marathon, but I ride an exercise bike. And it ain't a pretty sight, okay, while I'm doing it or afterwards. It's rough. So Paul says, this has been rough, but I kept the faith. And the context of this is very important. When Paul is writing these words, he is in an underground dungeon in Rome where all the excrement and rainwater and everything from society would drip down a drain into that dungeon, including his own excrement. He's down in an underground dungeon. It's cold. He's asking Timothy, please bring me a jacket because winter's coming. He is knowing that he's about to be beheaded. And in that context, he says, I've kept the faith. Listen, Paul was not sitting in a rocking chair by his fireplace with all of his grandchildren gathered around him. I've kept the faith. But i got to tell you something. A lot of Americans believe that if you've really kept the faith, you should be able to sit in your American dream, picket fence house, sit around at the end of your life and say, Oh, I've kept the faith. Not necessarily. Amen? Not necessarily. 
He could go to his grave saying, I've kept the faith, and it wasn't a pretty sight the way his life ended. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now, crown doesn't necessarily mean literal crown, but it means his whole life in the end is going to be wrapped up in the rightness of God, the beauty of God, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Does anybody in the sanctuary tonight love the appearing of Jesus Christ? These are two different statements. I could ask the question, how many of you love Jesus? And probably every hand would go up. But I've got a second question for you, which is the litmus test of how you're really living for him. I'm not asking you, do you just love Jesus? I'm asking you tonight, do you love the appearing of Jesus Christ? Do you love the return of Jesus Christ? Because that's what Paul said. He didn't say, he will award that to me on that day because I love Jesus. It goes without saying, Paul loved Jesus. But there's a litmus test to where you're really at in the last days, and that is this. Do you love his appearing? You see that? There's a difference between saying, I love Jesus, and saying, I want Jesus to come back right now. I'm ready for it. I've had enough of this world. I realize what's really valuable. Hmm. Okay. The International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church was last Sunday in our church, and I shared this with the people there on Sunday morning. There are people in today's world who really love the appearing of Jesus. Now, we're not all called to the thing that they've been called to, but you learned in our church uh, last week that Liana and Samer in Syria, they love the appearing of Jesus Christ, okay? They live right now in Syria, real time, as we're sitting here tonight. They abide in Syria. And this couple has two young children. And when the civil war broke out in Syria, that war-torn country, it made it very easy for the Islamic State to start moving into Syria, and they have. And they've begun persecuting Christians, and it's just a horror over there. And Liana and Samer of Syria said that they got down on their knees for days and they fasted and they prayed and they said, God, would you have us to leave Syria? Okay, because they have two young children, all right? Would you have us to leave Syria? Because they know that they are uh, some of the few Christians left in that country. And it would seem like the sane and right thing to do for two parents to protect their young children, right? Isn't that what living for God is all about? Building a happy little family behind your white picket fence? No. The American dream is not God's dream. Okay, you ready for this? So they prayed, and they felt as if the Lord told them, you are to stay in Syria even though you have an offer from a church to help you go. They said, we're staying. And this is credible information. It comes from the Voice of the Martyrs, an organization that's been around forever. We have the exact quote of... Leanna and Samer and what their decision was to do. And I'm going to put it up on the uh, PowerPoint here. One night, as their neighborhood was heavily shelled by mortars, now this is right now in our time today, the family huddled together in the front room of their home. Leanna pointed to the front door and said to her children, look at this door. One day, can you imagine? So she's sitting there with her children, pointing to their front door, look at this door. So you imagine that at the front door of your home. One day, God may allow someone from those terrorist people to come in this door. They will have a big beard and very threatening faces, and maybe they will have swords. They will put their sword on our necks, and you may see some blood. They will hurt us. 
We will have pain, but don't worry about this pain. We will close our eyes and we will open them again in heaven and we will be with Jesus. Just tell these people, I forgive you and Jesus loves you. Now here's a family that doesn't just love Jesus. They believe in everything Jesus is about. They believe that he is worth giving their lives. They believe that his appearing and more people coming to know him is more important than anything they could value in this world. They long for his appearing. Amen? And the difference it's it's very easy in today's culture to be sitting in a service somewhere and under some emotional hype to say, yes, I want Jesus to forgive my sins. I want a free ticket out of hell and into heaven. Okay. And you make some mental ascent in your mind. That's very different from really loving the appearing of Jesus Christ and everything that he is about. Okay. Paul loved the coming of Jesus. Three reasons he loved the coming of Jesus. Number one, because he loved Jesus. Number two, he loved everything Jesus is about. You know, a lot of young people, when we do youth studies, a lot of youth will say, well, you know, I don't really, I'm not interested in Jesus coming back right now because I want to get married first. I'm not interested in Jesus coming back right now because I want to see what kind of career I can get. Okay, young people or adults who say that don't have a clue what the return of Christ means. They don't have a clue, really. Okay? So what I'm saying is you have to love Jesus. You have to love everything Jesus is about. And this is the third reason Paul loved the coming of Jesus, because he took most seriously the judgment of God his entire Christian life. Ever since he was saved, he understood that every minute he spent, every day he lived was under the watchful eye of God, and he would account for it. Amen? He would account for every moment. Now, if you want more information about loving the appearance of Jesus Christ, you go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. The Bible says that the second time Jesus appears, he's coming back for those who are eagerly waiting for him. doesn't say he's just coming back for everybody who claims the name of Jesus haphazardly. says he's coming back for people who are in love with him, somebody who really wants him to appear. Amen? Hey, if I have a party, did you ever have a party and most of the people you invited, you didn't really care if they came, but there was like one or two people you really wanted to be there? Who's ever done that? Okay. I'm always the one you really want to be there, right? Okay. No, so anyway. But anyways, we all do that, okay? So everybody else, have you ever been like at a party where you watch the host kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody else is here, but they're boring. Okay. Where's that person? Are they here yet? All right. This is the kind of feel your life ought to have. Yeah, this place is, I thank God for all the blessings, but is he here yet? Okay, is he coming yet? Listen, the false teachers and the false believers that we're going to mention in a few minutes, they do not actually love the coming of Jesus. And the reason they don't love the coming of Jesus is, number one, they don't really love Jesus. Okay? Number two, they don't love what Jesus is about. Self-sacrifice, giving it all away, uh, you know, just everything that Jesus is about. Righteousness. A lot of people aren't even looking forward to the return of Christ or heaven because they want nothing to do with righteousness in this life. And if you don't like it here, you're going to have a real problem forever loving it. Right? Tammy, you like how I do that, yeah. Some things I say, I start to bite my nails. Okay, move backwards. Okay, so 
And they don't live their lives in, in light of the judgment of the Lord God Almighty. Listen, when you wake up in the morning, when you open your eyes, your thought should be, I'm living these moments under the watchful eye of my God. I'm accountable for everything I do, everything I say, every attitude that I have. Now, let's go back and let's look at when truth was rejected back in the old days. I mean the old, old days. Not the old days when my dad had to walk, you know, to school in the snow without shoes. Not those old days. I mean, even older than that. We're going to go back to the days of Noah. Godless people rejected the truth in Noah's day. How many of you know that, right? Okay, the Bible says clear in Second Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a herald. He was a preacher of righteousness. I love that. Did you know that Noah was a preacher? He said, I thought Noah was an ark builder. Yeah, it's the same thing. Okay, he was a preacher of righteousness. Now watch this. Hebrews 11:7 tells us very succinctly, by faith Noah, being warned by God. Now, I want to stop right there and say something. The preacher and the true believer of Jesus Christ will live a lot of their life by warnings. How many of you love your children and so you give them warnings? This is very serious. Everybody today that sits in pews and, and turns on the Internet preachers and the television preachers, you know what they want to hear? <sighs> Come on, refresh me. Entertain me. Make me feel good. What am I going to get out of this? Listen, it's time to be warned by God. Okay? Noah was warned by God. He took a warning very seriously. He was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And that's what made it so crazy. This guy is talking about rain and a flood, and nobody's ever seen rain before. And people look at Shelly Pringle when she preaches and say, she's crazy. Jesus is actually going to come back in the clouds like, I'm just going to brush my teeth tomorrow morning. It's going to be like it was yesterday. No, it ain't, baby. There's a day coming. He's going to break through the clouds. You say, but I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, right. God told you, though. Okay, they were events yet unseen. He was warned concerning events unseen. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, without faith it's impossible. Well, that's Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the evidence of things, what? Not seen, including future events. So being warned by God and taking the warning seriously, even though he couldn't see what was coming, he still believed. And I've got, I got to pause there and say this. If you send your kids to our youth group every week, that I walk into that youth room, no matter what game we're playing, what goofy thing we're doing, what worship song we're singing, what prayer, in the back of my mind is always this. Jesus is coming back. These kids have to face God. Okay? You have to, in reverent fear, do something about what you know is coming. How many of you think reverent fear is very popular in the church today? No, you know what's popular in church today? Bring your coffee in. Bring your snacks in. Everybody come in lighthearted. Let's just walk in. Let's just all have a good time. Okay? Let's have some fancy stuff going on up there. And let's just everybody in and treat this like some kind of concert or some kind of like entertainment, just like everything else in the world. Wait a second. We're talking about God here. Right? You think I'm crazy? No. 
We're talking about God here. I told the young people, we, I did a lesson on prayer. I said, number one point, you approach prayer with reverence. We've lost an understanding of reverence. At my event, Living in Awe, I said, we've lost, okay, the word awesome, we totally abuse. I mean, my husband did get me a new car, I said, a Nissan Altima. And I'm tempted to say, that car's awesome, man. You, t- you press a button and the thing turns on. Only problem with it, that, it, with that, though, is if you forget to press the button when you get out, the car's still on when you come out an hour later. Don't tell Jeff. But anyway, here's the deal. I'm tempted to say, that car's awesome. But guess what? That car is not awesome. Awesome is an abused word. Awesome means to be in dread, reverent fear. It means to stand before God and understand He holds my destiny in the palm of His hand. I am completely answerable to Him. He is everything, and compared to Him, I'm nothing, but by His grace, He makes me something. All right? We have to live in reverent fear. Now, here's what Noah did because he reverently feared the Lord. He constructed an ark. Now, this is what kills me. The book of James, chapter 2, tells us that faith without works is dead. And people get all hung up on that. What does that mean? Do you have to do good stuff to be saved? It's so simple. Look at Noah's Ark. Watch this, okay? I'm going to make a very, this is going to be a profound statement, okay? Very wise statement. You ready for this? If Noah would have said to God back then, put his hands up in the air in church service, you know, come out on a Sunday morning after God gave him the vision and said, Oh, God, I believe you're going to send the flood. I do believe. And he would have walked out with his latte, okay, gone back to his life, watched television at night, watched a Steeler game, you know, did his regular thing, gone to work the next day, and never actually picked up a hammer or a saw and started cutting down trees and hammering wood together. Watch this. He would have died too. Okay? Him putting his hands up in the air and saying, God, I believe, meant nothing. Until the belief resulted in picking up a hammer, picking up a saw, and building himself an ark. You with me? Faith without works is dead. Because it's not real belief. Now I've got to ask you something. Here we go. It's going to get convicting. It's convicting for me. You ready for this? The only reason I can preach this stuff is because it's been in my own heart. Okay, so I preach myself first. Listen, we got people building all kinds of things today. People are building big fancy houses. People are building estates. They're building 401ks. People are building big careers. People are building big ministries. People are even building their bodies at the gym. But who is building an ark today? Huh? Who's building an ark of safety? Who's actually getting up in the morning, picking up a saw, picking up a hammer, and by that I mean using the stuff of your life, your time, your resources, your body, your mouth, everything at your disposal to build an ark of safety that says, I believe Jesus Christ is coming back again. Who's doing that? Do you agree we're building everything else? In reverent fear, he built an ark. He had to do the stuff. Now, Today, truth is also rejected. Now, I just want to say something. In Noah's day, the people who wouldn't listen to him were the unsaved, godless people. Agreed? 
Okay? For over a hundred years, he's building this ark, and nobody wants to accept the message that it's true, and they all die. God shuts the door, and it's over. Now watch what the Bible says. Jesus said this. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Amen? I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Jesus said, if you want to know what it's going to be like when he returns the second time to remake the world by fire instead of flood, if you want to know what it's going to be like, go back to that day and remember this. While people heard the hammers and heard the sawing and watched the ark being built, they just went ahead and brushed their teeth and put on their jeans in the morning and went to work and watched the reruns on television and just did the everyday things that everybody does, and they just ignored the warning. And guess what? They were damned. Guess what we're doing today? Some people are out there building arcs, trying to say, Jesus is coming back. Get your life squared up. You better be ready. You better be building an ark of safety for you and your family and your friends. You better be doing the stuff of faith. And so many people are just doing their thing. Not a thought for it. That was then. This is going to be now. Now here's the scariest part of this message. This is the really hard part. I thought that was hard to say. Wait till you hear this. Because now I'm starting to sweat. Sweating. This is the scary difference in truth rejection. Now watch this. Very serious. We just talked about Noah's day and Jesus' comparison of now to Noah's day. And in both cases, we're talking about rejection of truth by godless people, by the heathens, by the pagans, by the unsaved, right? When Jesus comes back, the unsaved are going to be shut out. In Noah's day, the unsaved were shut out. So we were talking about rejection of truth by the godless pagan people. And all the Christians could sit in church and say, Amen. We should be saddened by that. But we say, We're safe. We're safe, though. Okay? Watch this. In the last days, the Bible says, there'll be a rejection of truth by people in church. Ooh, seriously. This is where I become the most popular person in the world. Not. Listen, the Bible says that in the last days, the rejection of truth will happen in the church among professing believers. Okay, I'm going to put up two lists here. I'm going to put the one on the left up first. This is a list of sins. Everybody say, yuck. You don't want to read this list. Yucky. Okay? Here's a list of sins. Ready? Look at them together. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, but nobody in here. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That's a nasty list of sins, isn't it? I've committed all of them in one way or another, even murder, right, in my spirit, okay? But that's a nasty list of sins. How many of you ever, does that sound familiar? Have you ever heard that list before? You know that's in the Bible? Okay. Now I'm going to, list, I'm going to bring up a separate, separate second list of sins, okay? Ready for this? 
Tell me if you sense any similarities. Lovers of, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This sound pretty similar? Nasty list of sins, isn't it? Okay, the list on the left comes from Romans chapter 1. When Paul outlined the demise of the pagan godless people who would literally suppress the truth and refuse to come to God and so be saved. That's the list of sins that applies to the godless pagans in Romans chapter 1. Now, hold on to your seats. The list on the right is a list of sins in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that people in the church will commit. Professing believers, teachers, pastors, believers in the pews will be committing these sins. Whoa. They're very, very similar. One uh, comparison or contrast that I want to bring out, it struck me that a list on the left, on the left calls people haters of God. And, and there, you know, there's very few people that go to church, even religiously, who would say, I hate God. Right? Now catch this. Watch this. This is really something. So you're going to find very few people who go to church on a Sunday morning who call themselves religious who would say, I hate God. That's what the godless pagans do, the atheists. But you know what you will find sitting in the pews? People who love pleasure more than they love God. Guess what? It's the same thing. It's just a way to soften it or hide it. Okay, watch this. Now, this is very critical. Do not feel safe because you attend church. Don't think your kids are safe just because they attend church. Amen? A person doesn't have to put their hand up in the air and say, I hate God to be in trouble. A person can be a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God and be in real trouble. And I've got to tell you something. The more I investigate about churches across our nation and the way they operate and the things they do to entice people to come makes me think it's this scripture in motion. It's not about my pleasure. It's not about my comfort. It is not about, please, let this church meet my felt needs. It's my service to come into this church and love Jesus with all my heart and give my life away, if need be, and die doing so. Amen? Look at that difference. It's incredible. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentary, said... Even in gospel times, there would be perilous times. On account of persecution from without, but even more so because of corruptions within. It's more dangerous. What the devil has tried to do from the church, to the church from the beginning is to persecute the church, right? To kill Christians. To stop them by, by, scandalizing by hurting their bodies, correct? But did that ever really work? No. And it's not really working today. 
If you go over to Iraq and Syria and you find people who are truly being persecuted for their faith, the only thing that's happening is their faith is growing stronger and the church is spreading. Come over to America where the corruption doesn't come from the outside, but it comes from our own spoiled brattiness within, and now you got people who aren't really growing in the Lord. Because the corruption is in here, not from out there. We're not being persecuted from the outside, really, in any real sense of the word. But those people over there are much better off than most of us are. Because we've got the corruption within. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, I don't know what version of the Bible you read, but this is another way that this is uh, translated in different versions. Times that will be perilous, grievous times, terrible times, utterly dangerous times. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And Paul was not talking about unbelievers. He was talking about the church, just so you know. Now, I want to first, before I talk about that word difficulty, I want to talk about what the last days are. There's two dots up on the screen. The last days fall between two points. And, of course, you guys probably know, ever since Jesus left the earth in the first century until he returns to earth at the Mount of Olives again, he left at the Mount of Olives, he'll return at the Mount of Olives, any time in between there is called the last days. So when Paul wrote this to Timothy, they were already living in the last days. And we today, 2,000 years later, are living in the last days. Is there any difference since we all fall under the same category? And the answer is yes. Watch this. Now, this is the mathematical part of me coming out here. I do a disclaimer at the beginning like I did at Living in Awe. I've never birthed a child. closest thing I ever had, thanks to the Coxes, was monarch butterfly children. Okay, so I've never birthed an actual child, all right, but I hear that it's pretty rough. Anyone want to say amen? Okay, I hear it's pretty rough. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, he was talking about a bunch of things that were going to happen in the end times, like wars and famines and earthquakes and persecutions and all kind of nasty stuff. And he said, disciples, when this happens, know that these are the beginning of the birth pains, all right, birth pains. Paul corroborated what Jesus said in Romans 8.22 when he told us that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. In both cases, labor pains are what is spoken of. Now, labor pains, far as I can tell, they start and then they grow. Don't they, women? Yeah, Marcel's like, yeah. Kind of remember that. Yeah, they do. Okay? So, what's really cool about this is I taught about the labor pains a Wednesday night in my youth group, and um, one of the seniors from our youth group who takes honors biology said, Shelly, you will never guess what happened the very next morning in school. I went into biology class the very next morning. You had taught about Jesus and the birth pains. Went in. My teacher stood up in the front of class. She said, okay, today we're going to discuss labor pains. She said, and and what she proceeded to share with me just revved me up. She said, here's what I learned, Shelley. This is so interesting. It's exactly what you were saying. She said, the teacher said that something really strange, like an anomaly happens when a woman's going to birth a child. Her body, instead of a normal balance of positive and negative feedback, the woman's body goes into all positive feedback. 
and starts to pour out hormones and rev the body up so hard, pours out all these hormones so that the labor pains grow more and more intense and closer and closer together, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And what the body is doing is preparing itself to do something that doesn't even seem logically possible. Amen, women? And deliver a child out of that body, all right? But the body has a way of getting it ready, okay? Now, what I was teaching the kids is that's what Jesus is doing. She said, Shelly, you know, that's what the body is doing, something good when it does that. But the woman thinks she's being killed, okay? The woman swears she's dying, and she's also near to murdering her husband, I hear. Now, I've wanted to murder my husband for other reasons, but anyway. Okay, so here's the deal. So a woman I hear wants to die or thinks she's going to die because the birth pains get so bad. But what's actually happening is the body in kindness is ramping you up so that you can do something that seems against the natural and deliver new life. Amen? And I'm here to tell you tonight that things are going to keep getting worse. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, but God is not trying to kill us. He is ramping us up and making us strong for not just the delivery of one child, but the delivery of an an entire universe into righteousness. Amen? That's what's happening here. Now, because he used childbirth and these labor pains, My mathematical mind said, okay, I'm going to show you this in chart form so you understand. Watch this. If their labor pains, they started back when Jesus left the earth, they'll end when he returns on that uh, vertical line right there, okay? From one point to the other, the pains are going to, number one, grow in intensity, correct? So that's why it's going uphill. These things are going to get stronger and stronger. So we've always had wars, but the wars are going to get more and more intense, and we see the development of nuclear technology and all we, Okay, everything's getting worse and worse, right? Now, not only is it going to grow in intensity, but birth pains grow in frequency, so they start to become closer and closer and closer and closer together. Amen? So as time marches on, we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but I can tell you one thing. It's going to keep getting worse. Amen? They're going to get worse in intensity. They're going to get worse in frequency. Now, here's the deal. Watch this. Okay, so that yellow oval there represents, like, we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. If that's five years from now, you know, a thousand years, we don't know. But here's the deal. The last of the last days will be worse than the first of the last days. Correct? They're all last days. But any logical mind could see that the last of the last days will be worse than the first of the last days. And let's just get a little bit more serious here. Let's take the last of the last days and whittle it down to the very last. Say we're living in the very last. The very last of the last days will be worse than the last of the last days. You following me here? Okay? And those very last of the last days will be drastically worse than the first of the last days. Amen? It was... It was rough for Paul, but it's going to be more rough for those who live in the last of the last days because they're birth pains. Now, 2 Timothy said, in the last days, there'll come times of difficulty. Now, the word difficulty there, this amazed me. There's one other place where that word is used in the New Testament, and here's where it's used. 
when Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. The word fierce there is the same Greek word as Paul used when he said, in the last days, difficult times will come. And to get you to understand how fierce and dangerous that word is, here's the description of one of those men. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. That's the description of a man who was dangerous. He was so fierce that people wouldn't even walk by him because he lived uh, among the tombs, naked, cutting himself supernaturally by the power of demons, able to break chains and just do whatever he wanted to anybody. He was so fierce, no one would pass by. That is the same word that is used right here. In the last days, there will come days of danger. So bad that people won't even want to pass by that way. Okay? It's going to get bad, right? Now watch this. William Barclay said, In the last days there would come times which would menace the very existence of the Christian church and of goodness itself. A last, a kind of last tremendous assault of evil before its final defeat. How many of you know the devil knows he's going down? The devil is a jerk, but he's not a dummy. He knows. And the Bible talks about he'll know his time is short. And he is going to ramp up evil to such a degree before that last final throwdown by Jesus when he overthrows him by the breath of his mouth. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. William Barclay emphasizes, because this was written to the church in 2 Timothy 3, that it's going to try to rock not society, just society, but it's going to try to rock the church. You ready? It's going to try to rock the church of Christ itself. Now watch this. If you saw that coming your way, what would you do? Huh? Where are my brave souls? Where are my responders here? Is it my sweat that's, you know, turning? You would what? You would run. You hear or see this thing coming, man? You're out of there, baby. That thing is dangerous. I'm getting out of the way. You see this uh, tsunami coming towards where you live? What are you going to do? You're going to run. Okay? Yeah. Once you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 24. Everybody just turn. We're going to close out this section here in Matthew 24. I want you to see something. Go to Matthew chapter 24. And uh, I want you to look at verse 4. Okay, God be with us and help us to understand. I really do pray. God be with us and help us to understand here what's going to happen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Saying uh, they are the Christ, that's, uh, that's a reference to Jesus is saying they're going to come false Christ or cults. These are teachers who, who are going to come and claim to be... Uh, claim to be the way to God, but they're really cults, okay? They're false ways, all right? Then he says, Jesus is saying this, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do we, do we see that already? Okay, we're somewhere in the birth pains. It's going to get worse and worse. 
See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the what? The beginning of the birth pain. So the frequency and intensity hasn't even ramped up by the time we've seen this. But here's what I want you to see and maybe circle in your Bible. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Hey, when the famines and the earthquakes and the tsunamis and stuff come, when that end time birth pain comes, I know to run. If there's a war and there's a bomb shelter, baby, I'm going in it. you know what I mean? I don't think bomb shelters work anymore. But I'm just saying, okay, I'm old-fashioned. So I'm just saying to you, when those symptoms of the birth pains come, we know to run, don't we? Here's the problem. Watch this. That's only the beginning of the birth pains. Then Jesus is going to enter into phase two of the birth pains before the end comes. As it ramps up and gets worse, here's what he says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Okay, now this is the second wave, okay? Well, the beginning of the birth pains are over, now we're moving to the second part, and Jesus says they're going to persecute you and kill you. Did the apostles get killed? Yeah, but we're further along. So should we expect that Christians are going to be persecuted and killed? Yes, and are we seeing it? Amen, we're seeing it. Over in Iraq, we're seeing it. And many are staying faithful. I read accounts, though, of many who recant their faith and turn to Islam. You'll be put to death. You'll be hated. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Now, wait a second. And many false prophets will arise. Now, false prophets doesn't refer to cultish false Christ. False prophets is a specific reference to teachers and preachers in the church. They're in your church. I mean, not yours in particular, but they may be. They're in your church. You with me? False prophets, Jesus said, will arise. And what will they do? Lead a few astray? Lead many astray. These could be huge ministries leading people astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, here's what I want to say to you. And please think as seriously and pray as seriously in your heart as you can right now. I want you to see something. If that's the famine, the earthquake, the Ebola, and all the stuff that's going on in the world, if that's The birth pain, I know to run from it. But if the second wave of the birth pains is false teachers in the church of Jesus Christ, I better tune up my heartstrings a bit, shouldn't I? Because I might not know to run. Are you with me? This is serious. For such, this is what the Apostle Paul said in a different part of the Bible. He corroborated this. He said, he was talking about false prophets. He said, for such men, even in his day, are false prophets, they're false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. If Paul could say that in his days, at the beginning of the last days, what do you think we can say 2,000 years out? There's a lot of false apostles of Jesus Christ. You go into a Christian bookstore, don't you dare buy any book off the shelf you feel like picking up. 
There is so much danger in a Christian bookstore. There is so much danger as you flip the channels on TV and, oh, it's a Christian station. Watch out. Look what Paul said. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Amen? That's how he'll creep in. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Whoa. Is that a little bit scary? They're in the church. They're teaching false. They're disguised as preachers of righteousness, but they're not preaching true biblical Christianity. This is where I want us to go. Now, I want you to flip in your Bible. We're going to end on 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go back to where we left off on difficult times will come. And I'll give everybody a minute to get there. If somebody can't find it, help them find it. 2 Timothy, you've got First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3. We left off at verse 1. Understand this, in the last days there will come times of danger, perilous times, terrible, terrible times. Look at verse 2. For people, now you just shake your hand or, get, or shake your hand, shake your head or give me some kind of uh, affirmation that you believe these sins, and we're going to ourselves first, are in the church today. Ready? First thing, okay, the end times, people will be lovers of self. Not the godless, the people in the church. You think we're kind of selfish today? I want what I want. I want the kind of music I want. I want the preacher to look the way I want it to be. I want to feel good. I want you to tell me I should be rich. I want you to tell me that my problems should all go away. I want what I want. That's what children do. Because they're self-centered. And it's what people in the church of Jesus Christ will do as the birth pains grow more intense and more frequent. Amen? Not about, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Amen? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. We will become lovers of ourselves. We will become... Oh, do I even have to read it? No, seriously, do I even have to read it? Shall we talk about the number of people who work an exorbitant number of hours, both, and now some people you have to work, both people have to work, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just need to say, we don't need all that stuff. Because loving money shows up in, in not just like, I love like $5 bills in my hand. If you worked yourself to death so that you can have the stuff that money can buy, you also really just love money. Because you want what it can buy. Amen? Are we a super indulgent, ungrateful group of people? Me first. I want what I want. Lovers of money. I don't even think I need to like, that doesn't even need to be preached. We know that's true. We are lovers of self. We are lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Oh my goodness. Arrogant. Arrogant teachers, arrogant preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, arrogant people in general. People, uh, are there people in your church who are so arrogant they won't even speak to you? No. We're arrogant, nasty buggers, okay? People will become arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. 
None of that in the Cox family, I know. But I'm just saying, people will know. Seriously, generally speaking, have you seen kids with their parents lately? This is biblical. Disobedient to their parents, okay? Uh, no holds barred, okay? Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Oh, my goodness, ungrateful. I don't know how many times I sit down with people, especially young people, and try to get them to see, you have, you, oh, you just, you just talk about you want this, you want this, you, you don't even, you don't even care about what you have. We don't, we are so unthankful. I, I told the testimony of I laid my head down on my pillow the other night, I wasn't feeling very well, so I laid my head down on my cushy contour, like memory foam pillow, in my comfortable bed, in my nice little house, and I thought, oh, I don't feel so good. And immediately, I thought of Pastor Saeed Abedini. And how on days he probably doesn't feel good after taking a good beating over there in the Iranian prison, he doesn't have a contour pillow to lay his head on. I was like, Shelly, shame on you. You are ungrateful for what you have and you focus on what you don't have. How many of you are like that? I focus on what I don't have uh, and I, I'm not thankful for what I do have. We have become very ungrateful and it is a very bad witness and a very bad testimony to the unsaved. Brutal, not loving the good, no self-control, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen. I'm going to bring us down to nuts and bolts. At the end of the day, what I might feel like doing, leaning back on my couch. I don't have a lazy boy. Jeff does. Take out the remote control. Not watching bad shows. Just vegging out. Because you know what? It feels good. Give me some chocolate peanut butter ice cream. Give me a few good reruns. Let me just sit back. And let me just enjoy myself. And I'll feel this subtle thing inside of me say, mm, pray. But I don't feel like it. And most of the time, I stay watching TV. I'm a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Okay? I'm serious. This will creep into the church. Now, here's the last one I want to focus on, and this to me is the one that the Lord really wants to emphasize. Verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What does that mean? Okay? In the last days in the church, there will be people who have the appearance. In some versions, it says form. And what it means is the outward look of godliness. Have you seen them? Oh, I've been to churches. Some churches have more of a feel than the others. You know, walk into church very staunchly, very religious. I'm dressed right. I'm acting right. Sitting in my pew correctly. Thank you for the great sermon. Have a pastor. Out I go. I'm done. All of a relationship I have with God, that's it. Not serious. These people have the outward form of godliness, but they deny its power. What does that mean? Listen. 
When God comes into your life, he takes over. You can't play church. You could look like a good churchgoer. You could look like you have it all together. But if you deny the power of the gospel to change every inch of your being, you are lost and undone. It doesn't happen all at once, but it will happen. You can't just go to church and say, that's my Christianity. Your Christianity is a living relationship with the God of the universe who deposits his Holy Spirit into your heart, who will then never let you go until he draws you closer and closer and closer, until you see more power in your life, more answered prayers in your life, more witnessing happening, more positive influence, and yes, more attack from the enemy because you're doing all that. That's power. I, just the way the few people describe this, the believer's Bible commentary about these people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. Outwardly, these people seem religious. They make a profession of Christianity, but their actions speak louder than their words. Listen, I don't follow you home after you leave church, but God does. He knows your actions. He knows how much time you're really investing in a relationship with him. There is no evidence of the power of God in their lives. I, I, I've, sat, I've sat down, like in my experience of speaking and going to all different churches of all different denominations, I've sat down and had to like sit down and have lunch with people like pastors and elders from various and sundry churches. And I've sat down at lunch and I mean, I'm talking to them, you know, my eyes are open and I'm saying words, but in my mind I'm thinking who are you? Like, who are what? Because nothing that you're talking about, nothing you're passionate about, nothing about you is smelling of Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? While there might have been reformation, there was never regeneration. I looked up these two words. To be reformed means to be outwardly shaped, like clay. You know, you can take it and mold it and put it into a certain shape. It means to make the outward form different. To be regenerated means to be recreated. If any man comes to Christ, he is a new creature. You ought to be a different creature, like a new creature. Have you ever gone somewhere, or, um, have you ever gone outside or gone somewhere, and you've looked and you said, this is like a, a new insect, a new creature I've never seen. Somebody posted one on Facebook. What are these nasty lantern bugs or something? Has anybody seen that? I looked at that on Facebook. I'm like, wow, that's a new creature. That's something I've never seen before. Hey, when you really come to Jesus, you will be a new creation. Everything will change. God will come in. He'll start to sweep through your life. Moffat in the Believer's Bible Commentary said, though they keep up a form of religion, they will have nothing to do with it as a force. Form but no force. God is powerful. What did Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. They want to be religious, but keep their sins at the same time. Impossible. So here was Paul's advice. He said 
In closing, this is what he said to Timothy. He said, in light of false teachers and false believers, all these sins that will creep into the church, false apostles, false gospels, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self, form of godliness, but denying its power. He said, here's the deal, Timothy. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Here's one way to know if you're the real deal. Does the enemy kick you around? Yeah. Does the enemy kick you around directly or through other people? Is the enemy trying to discourage you? Trying to pull you away from Jesus Christ? You're probably the real deal. Because all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Amen? We pay heavily. We pay heavily for our belief and for our preaching. I, I, can't, I can't even tell you, like, I could speak to you for hours and hours and hours and hours and tell you the way the enemy chases me, chases me relentlessly. If you lived with me, you wouldn't even believe. You would say, that's the Shelly that gets up there and preaches. Yeah, the devil has a field day with me, but I ain't given in. Because I want to be the real deal. You will be persecuted. Watch this. Here's, here, I'm just warning you. This is real seeker friendly. You ready? So come to Jesus and be persecuted for trying to live a godly life. And it gets worse than that. Evil people and the imposters in the church will go on from bad to worse. Yay! This is a great deal. Okay, yeah, this is awesome. Because here's the thing. The whole deal about the last days is... They are the last days. Like there's an end to this. Amen? Jesus is coming back. And if we stay true and bring as many people along with us as we can, we will see that home of righteousness and the deliverance of the entire universe. Amen? But this is what's going to happen. So here's what Paul said. As for you, Timothy, even though these bad people are going to keep going on, you continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you've learned it, all right, Timothy, it's hard. You don't see all the answers right now. You don't understand how all the pieces fit together. But continue on. Amen? But everybody, just, just bow your heads. Just close your eyes. You don't bow your heads. Just close your eyes for a minute. I want to read this to you. I, I want to read this. I want it to resonate in your heart. You ready? Listen, I know it's difficult. Times are hard. These are the last days. I know the enemy's coming against you. But here's what God is saying to you. You ready for this? Just let this resonate in your heart. This is what God is saying to you. But as for you, as for you, Nancy, as for you, Cindy, as for you, Dave, as for you, Joe, as for you, Karen, as for you, Marty, okay, as for you, Wes, as for you, Bria, as for you, are you ready? Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Just continue. Endure sound teaching. Just keep marching on. Here's why. Here's what he said next with your eyes closed. Here's, here's the next thing he said. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out from God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. God, have mercy on our souls tonight. Please have mercy on us, your people, your creatures that you have made. Have mercy on us in the last days. In the last days, dangerous, perilous, terrible times will come that will try to shake the church of Jesus Christ and goodness to its absolute core. We know and have been forewarned that although the enemy attacks from the outside by persecuting us, his worst attack, his most reserved attack for the end of the end will be the corruption that comes within the church by false teachers and false believers and false prophets, by people within the church who commit these sins and love to commit them. Lord, let us not be of that persuasion. Yes, we sin. Yes, we have been involved in those sins. But the bent of our heart, we pray, would be that we would be true to you. God, let us be believers who don't just have a form of godliness, but who have true godliness and who do not deny your power. So I pray right now in Jesus' name for everyone in this sanctuary that whatever any of us need of your power tonight, you will pour it down on us right here and right now. Some may need the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to come into their hearts for the very first time and make them new creatures. Some may be sitting here who have only been religious, only been a church attender, and need your power to be born again by your spirit. Lord, do that, I pray, in Jesus' name. And for those of us who are sitting here who cared enough to come out to hear this kind of message, God, raise up an army of powerful people through the blood of Jesus Christ. Would we be lovers of God rather than lovers of self? Would we be lovers of God rather than lovers of pleasure? Would we be a people of discernment who understand that you can't listen to everything you hear, who weighs everything against the Word of God? Save us, Lord, from false apostles, from false teachers, from false doctrine. Give us hearts that understand and know you by the power of your Spirit. And the first step in doing that is just becoming aware of what the last days are about. And Lord, finally, I want to pray this thing in the mighty name of Jesus. Remind us what you said when the labor pains come. You said, do not be alarmed. When the birth pains come, you said that he who endures to the end will be saved. And Father, as a woman in labor battles that pain, knowing the joy that's to come, may we in the labor for the universe that you are accomplishing know in the midst of this pain there's a delivery, a joy to come beyond all comprehension. When you deliver not just one human life, but billions and billions of people who have called on you as Savior, and you deliver this whole world from its bondage to sin. 
We're waiting for that day. These are the last days. These are difficult days. But you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And we commit ourselves to your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.